Welcome to episode 164 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hello, John. Hello, Dirk. For our podcast this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the police in Dallas using a robot uh, to kill the sniper in the wake of some fatal shootings of five police officers, uh, tragically, uh, last week. And as as you pointed out uh, off the air, the uh, the Twitters and the social media are um, all a kerfuffle about um, uh, this use of the robot, uh, you know, for, for a couple of different reasons. Um, of course, let's, uh, you know, sort of set up the scenario that this, this robot, which was a, a bomb disposal robot, was actually used to deliver an explosive. Um, the police uh, used it to, you know, deliver the explosive and, and, and kill the sniper. Um, this bomb disposal robot's used by both police and military, and this is really the first time that domestic police have used uh, a robot in this deliberately lethal way. Um, so in, in, in that sense, it does play a bit into the debate about uh, so-called, quote, killer robots, right, uh, which is, you know, being discussed right now, um, sort of the uh, uh, autonomous lethal robot uh, war scenarios that are being uh, discussed and debated in the, in the UN and elsewhere, because, you know, of course we need, we need rules for, for battlefield robots. Uh, But unlike uh, those debates, uh, you know, just to be very clear, this, this robot was not autonomous. It was a remote controlled bomb disposal uh, unit, and it wasn't designed to have a weapons system as part of it. Uh, This, you know, bomb was attached uh, to it. And then this is also, uh, importantly, this is not part of a, a larger sort of tactical use um, of robots in this way. This is not like the, you know, a new approach to policing. This was sort of uh, uh, in the moment ad hoc problem solving by people who are in a combat, uh, by police who are in a combat situation. Um, and and so in this particular case, a robot was was basically used to protect human life insofar as there wasn't a policeman or a or a police sniper trying to uh, 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 get rid of this bad actor. So there are lots of uh, intertwining uh, pieces that we can discuss. First, I just wanted to get uh, an idea of your your general sense of of this debate and, and of uh, robots being used in this way. Sure. I mean, there's lots of interesting things to talk about here, but let me, let me preface with something else. I mean, this obviously isn't a political show, and so I don't want to overly politicize this episode, but I do want to just say a few things because the context of this happening is um, meaningful to, to us here in the United States. Um, first, I want to say that I'm, I'm saddened for the continued senseless death of people of color, um, by their interaction with the law enforcement system. And I'm similarly saddened by the recent spate of um, basically assassinations of law enforcement individuals um, by disaffected people. Um, second, I, I'd like to say I'm, I'm deeply disturbed and uh, uh, really in, in alignment and unison uh, with, with the idea that um, people of color 
today cannot in in this country um, live and, and work and function um, at, at this, in the same way that I can as as a white person. That I'm I'm very aware of of that difference, how that difference is manifesting in death in in some of these situations that we have here. And um, without getting into the specific political movements, I'm I'm very much aligned with with the people who are outraged by this and, and aren't willing to tolerate it anymore. Uh, the third thing I want to say is, um, and, and what I'm going to say here in no way is excusing uh, or, or condoning um, the deaths that have happened, but I think something that's not talked about as much but is an important nuance to the conversation is I think it's really fucking hard to be a police officer, to have a job where um, at any time, the call could lead to your death or or you're being harmed in some really significant way. So that doesn't excuse the things that have happened, which um, in many cases are clearly criminal. Um, but I think that the the this, this big social thing we're grappling with, like people just sort of pound their fist on racism as this as this oblique thing. And I think it's much more complicated in the context of policing, in the context of authority, in the context of peacekeeping, and then how um, the society manifests those things um, then imposes upon the people who are are less privileged, let's say. Um, so, again, I, this isn't a political show, and I'm sorry for, for steering no, it this way a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty thoughtful, uh, you know, Hopefully our, our listeners think that's a pretty thoughtful, balanced uh, take because uh, I do, certainly. So, so yeah, let's, let's uh, turn our focus yeah. then to the, uh, uh, to the use of robotics here, which is kind of our focus for today. Uh, what was your you know, impression on, on, on that, Dirk? Yeah, so, I mean, l- let me start with, with the snarky, and then we can get into some of the real topics. I mean, my snarky was like, what is everybody so upset about? Um, we have been using drones, which are robots, to kill people all around the world That's right. for years. And not only just to kill criminals, um, the use of our drones results in the death of civilians. And these are civilians who are in other sovereign nations, and we just kind of shrug our shoulders as we um, obliterate them um, mm-hmm. while we're, we're using these robotic weapons. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of um, bemused by... So- by all of the conversation about the robot, yeah, first that's, robot killing. I mean, come on. That's. I mean, so the the domestic. So so you're talking about sort of international war. You know, whether whether it's uh, sort of legal or not is is a question. But it's it's not, it's, 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 it, it's inter, inter, international battlefield use of of drones versus domestic use of you know whether it be a robot drone, whatever you call it. So the domestic use, I think was yep. was was what got people's attention and right? we can get to that but i want to be clear like you're you're sort of um putting it in a bucket called where you call it battlefield you use the word twice mm-hmm. these aren't battlefields right i mean the the way that these terror organizations work is that they're they're woven into the fabric of mm-hmm. their their society and their neighborhood and their environment and so we're you know we're not like you know going to a giant military base with a drone i mean that happens as well mm-hmm. but we're going into a neighborhood by a school and by a church and like we we have these you know so called smart strikes, um, and they're they're a little bit stupid, right? Um, civilians die, children die, doctors die, people who are horrified, knowing that this terrorist is in their neighborhood but can't do anything about it, 
die. Um, so yes, the, the distinction of U.S. soil is important and I think is where this conversation is going mm-hmm. to pivot to. But I want us to be really clear, and by us I'm not meaning you and me, but sort of all of us in, in the United States slash first world privileged technology um, culture, to be really clear that, that um, this isn't such a big deal in the context of uh, of humanity, uh, people, it's only a big deal because now it's actually close to home. We're like, oh, no, you know, it's not some faceless person with a hijab on who's getting killed. You know, I don't care about that. Oh, now it's somebody in Dallas, Texas. I was in Dallas, Texas. There's people like me in Dallas, Texas. Now I'm horrified. Now I'm mm-hmm. upset. Now it matters to me. So we're going to talk about that context, but I just, I want everyone to be really, really sanguine um, and, uh, uh, not, you know, not ignorant to to our, um, you know, our, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I, I, so, so I mean, the uh, the counterpoints that you know that I think of, you know, while while you're mentioning, it, I mean, it's very true. Those are those are you know places where people live, their cities, there by schools and churches, et cetera. But I mean, the, the modern battlefield and sort of non-state actors have opened up, have certainly opened up those areas to make them, let's, let's not say that they're, um, there's some tactical choices being made there, both by, you know, the, the bad actors, terrorists to be in those spaces and, and create, you know, that sort of tension, right? So the U S military in pursuing them, they, they go into those areas because that's where those bad actors are. Let's thought experiment this, right? Um, w- would it be fair to say that there are members of the U.S. military who have done things on the battlefield in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or one of these nations that people could legitimately consider them war crimes? Is that a, a fair thing to say or not? Yeah, I mean, I'm sh- yeah, sure. Okay, so given that, um, if those people had moved back into society, weren't still part of the military-industrial complex, and people in, let's, let's call it Afghanistan, let's say this, this hypothetical uh, U.S. military person was committing war crimes in Afghanistan, if the people of Afghanistan had access to drone technology, and if they flew their little drone to, let's say, um, Boston, and they did a smart strike and killed this person and this person's family, and some people in in uh, surrounding neighborhood. How would the United States government react to that? How would you and I feel about that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's an awful lot of um, gray area. I think that's created by this this non-state actor um, phenomenon, right? But we have a double standard here, right? We're okay. We're the big bad, mighty United States, and we're we're okay drone striking those bad, evil terrorists in places that we can't see and killing civilians that we don't identify with and also can't see. But trust me, if some other country was dropping drone strikes on us, we'd be getting out the heavy equipment. Mm-hmm. We would be inflicting massive pain and destruction on those nations. And they aren't doing it to us because they can't. Yeah, I I think there's, well, I, I, I think they are doing it to us. I mean, that's the asymmetric warfare, right? So, so, I mean, I would say, you know, terrorist strikes in the United States are exactly what you're talking about. But before we get too yeah, uh, far, get let's get back to robots. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we were talking about uh, the use of uh, robots on American soil and that being a uh, significant factor uh, in I, I think a point worth raising is that 
since this this robot was not designed for this task, it it really actually um, you know sort of sort of their creativity that was displayed by the police in using the 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 robot in, in this way is very much in line with what robots are meant to do, which is do sort of very dangerous things, do jobs that that are that are, uh, you know, perhaps dangerous or dirty or would really put a human being in, in per, uh, peril. Um, so whether that job is, you know, we often think of it on the factory floor, you know, han- handling something that a, a human couldn't handle. Um, but if, if you recall, uh, about a year ago, uh, DARPA, uh, the Defense Advanced Research Projects um, uh, had a a contest or a competition where robots were uh, essentially given a, a set of very difficult rescue tasks, and and um, uh, this competition got a lot of international news media. It was actually uh, inspired by the events at the uh, Fukushima plant meltdown where human beings were unable to get inside the plant to stop the plant from melting down and robots would have been really handy to have uh, to do things like shut off valves, things like that. Um, So, so these, these robots that were created for this competition were able to do many different kinds of things um, and were meant to be used in ad hoc emergency uh, situations to, in this case, you know, do something like rescue people or shut down a, a plant that's melting down or what what have you. But they're, they're not specific purpose robots insofar as they're, they're meant to be used in dangerous situations, but they're meant to do a lot of things. So so one thing that I thought was very interesting, you know, we, we talk about the the delivery of, of the bomb and, and, and the lethalness of this particular um, uh, action that, that the robot took, but in, in a lot of ways, the robot took, it's very interesting, the language here, right. Or, or that the police, you know, the remote, uh, user of the robot took, right. But the, um, uh, what I'm getting at is that in, in dangerous scenarios, this, this is very much what robots are meant to do. And because it wasn't an an autonomous thing, I, I guess I, I sort of fall in, in the same, uh, line as you do, like I, I don't see as much of uh, the excitement about it because it was actually a human being sort of using the robots, uh, you know, to protect other human beings. Yeah. So, so yeah, you seem to have some uh, uh, some response, but I, I kept plowing through. So, no, I want to give you a moment. To... Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's. Um... Uh, I, I was I was really struck. I mean, aside from the fact that the drones happened far away and this bombing happened in in Dallas, um, another facet of it, other than time and place, I'm struck by is the anthropomorphic nature. Right. So the the robot um, bomb delivery device is a little bit anthropomorphic. Right. I mean, um, it doesn't look. It's not like a great human design, but it has in its basic structure some of the the. You know, it looks like arms, looks like head, eyes, right? I mean, there's there's a nod to human structure with that, whereas the drones look like airplanes. They don't look like humans, right? And so I, I think we're going to start getting into really tough and interesting questions about about life, frankly, um, when we when we look at and think about these things. You know, as, as I as I was thinking about the outrage 
Um, and it wasn't all outrage, but certainly the questions, the I'll say confusion, curiosity that people had about the situation in Dallas. Like it clearly meant something to people. It was clearly um, seen as something different from a technology perspective, not just from a, a social perspective. Um, I think that I think that it's going to take us back to questions of how do we define life? What is what? Not just what is life, but how how should we treat different things? Right and. If we take robots out of it for a second, I mean, there's there's a continuum, and it's probably even broader than this. But as a as a simple and crude continuum, you have on one hand people who are basically saying, you know, all animal life should be preserved. All animal life is valuable. We shouldn't be killing animals, whether it be for eat, certainly not for sport. Um, life, animal life is is valuable. Then we have um, at the opposite extreme um, people for whom only human life is valuable. Um, and I mean there's even um, psychopaths and other individuals for whom human life is not valuable, but let's, let's take them off the table for now. Um, at the other extreme you have people who are basically saying look, human life is valuable, none of the rest of it matters. And then you have a lot of people who are in the middle, which is where I would put myself, which is um, I actually think animal life is valuable, but I'm still having barbecue lunch with you today, right? Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going so far as translating the, the value I see and really what my inherent belief system would be to a change in my behavior. I'm still eating the beef, even though on a, on a moral island, I, I think it's not a good thing that I'm eating the beef, right? Um, okay, so we, we've got this sort of existing social continuum over how people value different types of life. Um, now we're bringing robots into the equation, which is a, is a very different vector because, um, you know, horses and cows, well, I guess we're not eating horses, but cows and pigs, animals that we eat, um, you know, these, these are the process of the same sort of biological process that we ourselves have as humans. Uh, you know, they, they conform to a certain um, a certain sense of biologic life that we can understand and identify with and make sense to us. Now, in the context of robots, this is life that we're creating, or as the robots, I mean, at a small level, this is already happening, but as the robots get smarter, eventually they'll be self-replicating and be, you know, be at, at sophisticated levels recreating themselves. Um, what does that look like, right? And so, wh- what I'm trying to tease out of all of this is where what, what's the value system? Where does this lie? Right. Like, um, is it okay to you know we make this robot which is just a machine like any other machine? Like, we're happy to bulldoze a factory with a lot of machines in it. Like those machines, um, for for 99.9999 percent of people have no value um, for, as life. It's just okay. The machine was created. We Kerchunked widgets for a while. Widgets aren't relevant anymore. Bulldoze the machines and and move on to the next one. Now we're moving into this more gray area with with anthropomorphic machines and um, artificially intelligent machines. Uh, and you know the question is when when does their destruction matter? Like um, you know this little robot. Uh, I'm even sort of imbuing emotion onto it. This little robot was wheeled into this room to blow itself up along with this perpetrator, right? Um, is that okay? I mean, I think generally we collectively think that it is now, but is it really? And should it be? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's I think it's sort of a complicated question, but I think we need answers for it. I don't I don't think it's okay. You know, so much in 
in the world and politics is treated as matter of opinion. And that might have been fine in the old days when we were ignorant and we had to claim that, that gods or the supernatural are making things happen. But now that we understand the world and understand, you know, increasingly how how we function, why we do the things that we do, uh, I, I think that there are, um, I, I hate the word truths, but things that are, are, are more correct out there, let's say, that sort of clearly in a question of A and B, one is correct and one is not. Um, I think we need to figure out where those lines lie ab- around life um, because we, we have really compelling questions to answer about that in the context of robots and artificial intelligence. I think in the context of animals and other creatures, we're already acting in ways that probably aren't morally consistent with where we should be as a species. And even more chillingly, as we are expanding, um, or at least exploring at this point, someday possibly expanding into the stars, if we are um, encountering extraterrestrial life, um, that is a whole different vector on the conversation and one that we need to be ready to have. Um, I think all of these things sort of fit together. And, you know, I, I typically, you know, I like being a problem solver, so I'll, I'll tend to solve things just whole cloth. But if, after this thing happened in Dallas and, and people were obviously so moved by it when I, I was just sort of shrugging, I thought, uh, you know, figuring out life, a definition to life is probably a pretty important thing. So I, I, Instead of solving the problem myself, I did some research. I said, what, what are the leading definitions of life? Like, you know, and where it took me to is that the smartest people, the people who you and I would respect, John, uh, the leading scientists, you know, the people at NASA, um, they, they don't think definition of life matters. What they think is that there needs to be a life system that we understand and agree on. And there's been some really good work done, interestingly, um, largely like back in the 70s, um, that has sort of... Uh, propagated forward. I don't remember. There were two uh, fellows who did a lot of that early work. I don't remember their names off the top of my head, although um, it would be a good pointer for our um, our listeners. Um, but the, the idea in science is we've got to figure out what, what does this system look like and, and how do we define it? And uh, once, once we understand that, you know, then we can, we can make some decisions around how we should be behaving. Um, whereas right now, I don't I don't think we know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, that's, you know, a lot of interesting stuff there, Dirk. I I think, you know, that's probably fodder for a bunch of future episodes um, if if there ever was uh, some. I I want to leave us with, with uh, one thought, which is that um, whatever we think the um, sort of cultural ingest or intake of of this debate, uh, it it will probably happen faster and uh, faster than we think, and we're going to be completely unprepared for it because if 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 we think that the mobile phone or the internet has upended you know our lives in in different ways and very quickly, uh, we can only imagine what uh, robots, uh, synthetic biology, and artificial intelligence are, are capable of doing. Um, and I think it's uh, several several uh, degrees higher uh, than what we've seen so far. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. 
We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us out of the show, uh, outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D. Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for Episode 164 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>